Hey guys, and welcome back to the Female Fitness Formula podcast. I am your host, Sheridan Skye. And today I have a guest who I have been dying to get on this podcast. And truth be told, I've been spending a really long time trying to find the right person to bring on for this podcast because, you know, my specialty with coaching is the pre and postnatal woman and also supporting women through aesthetic-based goals or performance-based goals. So one of the main questions that often come up for me is, is creatine safe to supplement with during pregnancy and in the postpartum period? And, you know, I've, I've dug into a lot of the research, but given the, I guess, the safety of the pre and postnatal woman, it is a very risk-adverse area. And you do want to be careful with what it is you're I guess, passing on all the advice that you're giving. So I've been on a, a long journey to find the right person and I finally found the right person to help and guide us through this podcast and to not so much answer this question, but to give you and deliver the current up-to-date evidence that we have on the topic. So ultimately, you can make an informed decision about whether or not you feel or don't feel like creatine supplementation in your pre and postnatal period is appropriate for you. And her name is Stacey. Hello, Stacey. Hi, Sheridan. It's lovely to be with you. Yeah, I'm as I said to you a million times over, I'm very excited for this podcast. So for the people and my listeners, can you just tell us who you are, what you do, where you work and, and anything else you feel is appropriate? Yeah, absolutely. Hello to everyone listening. Uh, my name is Stacey Allery. I'm a biomedical researcher at the Ritchie Centre, which is in the Hudson Institute of Medical Research in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, we're primarily focused on uh, maternal health and newborn health. So we study a range of different um, pregnancy complications. We look at understanding a bit more of the physiology of pregnancy in general, and then how to best care for the newborn, particularly those babies um, born after common obstetric complications like growth restriction or preeclampsia, uh, babies that come too early. Uh, those kinds of things. So um, I'm a biomedical researcher by training and have a PhD in obstetrics and gynecology. Mm -hmm. I've been working on creatine and the idea of creatine supplementation during pregnancy for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, we started at the very fundamental level looking at animal models and have progressed more recently uh, into looking at changes in women. So it's probably an opportune time to come and have a chat with you and your listeners because uh, we too are very, very interested in the safety profile of creatine during pregnancy and it's something that we are focusing a lot of our current research on. Mm. I'm also a mother of one as well. So I've been through <laughs> this process. Um, I've got a, a little boy who's just about 21 months old. So uh, yeah, it's very close to my, my heart, uh, these concepts of, you know, looking after ourselves both in the, the pre and the postnatal period. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you for that introduction. And I, I guess my follow-up question for you, Stacey, is what sort of led you to have a desire in going down this route? Because it's a very specific sort of uh, topic, isn't it? Very, very specific. So what was the inspiration for you? Yeah, it really is. And fundamentally, where we started isn't exactly where we are now. Um, so it's a bit of a journey, as you say. But we became interested in creatine um, pretty much from a fetal perspective to start with. So um, my mentor and PhD supervisor, Professor David Walker, has always been quite interested in um, a, a ways that we could potentially protect the fetal brain from hypoxic ischemic injury. So sometimes mm -hmm. when labour doesn't go well, we can have... Um, complications which means that the baby doesn't receive as much oxygen as it should and when that's severe uh, it can lead to some really devastating consequences in terms of the brain health for the baby and the child and so a lot of those complications associated with oxygen deprivation are really at the heart about energy depletion for the cells particularly for the brain 
And so Professor Walker, I don't know how exactly, but came across the research that was being done in the exercise physiology space about creatine and its role, particularly in skeletal muscle, in helping to buffer changes in ATP or energy levels during uh, periods of exercise exertion and um, and endurance, which is effectively what labor is, right? And so he had that thought of putting the two very obscure topics together to see whether if we could give a maternal creatine supplement during pregnancy, get more creatine on board for the fetus by the time of labor and delivery. And if things didn't go particularly well in terms of the oxygen delivery to that baby during delivery, did those babies that had more creatine on board do better um, than those that didn't from a brain health perspective? Um, and so we've been researching that for a long time now. It's all been in the preclinical space, which is an important um, aspect to point out. So we're talking about rodent models and, um, and other animal models at this stage, but that research has been progressing through to hopefully um, some clinical trials in the next couple of years. But I guess from that starting point, um, I became particularly interested in pregnancy and creatine management in general, because obviously there's so much happening to the female body during a pregnancy in terms of the changes in your muscle structure, your blood volumes go up by like 60%. There's just so much changing that requires a lot of um, in changes in the way uh, we metabolize carbohydrates and, and sugars in general and just our energy requirements and so you know it's not too hard to put two and two together that creatine considering its role in energy homeostasis particularly in our muscle but also in our brain and in some other tissues that creatine turnover during pregnancy might become important and that's been one of my primary focuses for the last few years yeah amazing awesome well i yeah i'm I mean, I've, I've got a million and one questions and I'm like, where do I? <laughs> so I I guess, you know, the, the main role that I I kind of play with my clients is I, I take care of the pre and postnatal client, but uh, probably not in, in the sense of the, in the same way as your research kind of supports because you're really looking at the that prenatal and birthing sort of process and how that might yeah. improve clinical outcomes for complicated births, et cetera. But it's, it's really it's really awesome to sort of hear where that inspiration sort of first came from because we do have so much research on creatine supplementation and performance and you know skeletal muscle as you said and mm. you know honestly i know that no supplement is necessary for everyone but it's one of the most researched supplements in the world it's you know there's a lot of research gone behind creatine and the benefits seem to be well kind of versed in the research as well so it's it's cool that we're kind of bringing or you're kind of bringing those two together so i think the first question i will start with stacy is the one that everyone asks and it's it's not going to be a straightforward answer but i'll, I'll let you do your thing and explain why is creatine supplementation safe for the prenatal woman let's talk prenatal first prenatal yeah. and so prenatal do you mean preconception or uh in, yes. and in that period of time when you're thinking about uh starting a family good question um let's go Let's go with preconception first because that's going to probably be a more straightforward answer than the the actual pregnancy period. So we'll start there first. Yeah, so um, definitely from what we know thus far, and um, this would be based on uh, looking at all of the literature of creatine supplements uh, used in females. So we did that uh, recently using something known as a meta-analysis. So it's kind of doing an experiment on the experiments that have already been done. So in a very scientific way, we collect all of the data available from the published literature and we scrutinize it to see, you know, study one might've said good, study two might've said bad. If we actually look at all of them together, What's the overall consensus? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it safe? Is it not? 
So our team did that with all of the literature um, from creatine supplements in females about a year ago. And we looked across the lifespan. So we looked at um, very from teenage through to postmenopausal women. And the studies that we gathered to look at all of the evidence, we were looking at around a thousand women that participated across the studies included in our analyses. And we found that overall there was no change in um, the health of these women. So there were no risks of adverse outcomes. So, you, you know, you're really serious complications, um, hospitalization, et cetera. Absolutely no evidence to suggest that creatine was causing any adverse outcomes in females. We also didn't find um, any suggestion of side effects. Uh, being higher in the creatine treated women compared to the placebo women. And that was an important component of our study. To be included in our analyses, it had to be a study that had women being supplemented with creatine and also a matched placebo group. So we could really tease out what was happening with the creatine supplementation. So we found no adverse um, effects. So effectively the safety box got ticked for us. And we also didn't find any side effects. So, you know, upset tummy, like higher rates of having an upset stomach, higher weight gain, um, muscle cramping, that kind of thing, which has from time to time popped up in the literature and been flagged, um, I guess, outside of the scientific space as well and also in the, in the exercise world. So I think if you Google creatine, you sometimes come across these these um stories around you know it being not particularly great um in terms of yeah muscle cramping and tummy upsets are the two things that usually come up the most so based on the evidence that we have and we can definitely do more there is a we would sit at the moment at saying that creatine is definitely safe in the preconception period mm -hmm. amazing yes and i i find more and <coughs> with clients and anecdotal you know that's it's a form of evidence but it's you know the least reliable sort of form of evidence right but I do find that clients with uh, who load creatine to kind of get that saturate saturation up a lot sooner probably experience that GI upset very temporarily as opposed to people who kind of load it and wait for that 30-day period is that something that's kind of shown in the research as well Yes, that's absolutely correct. So uh, the risk of having those upsets and also the risk of um, some of those other sometimes undesirable um, asides such as water retention tend to happen when you do undergo that more intense strategy of creatine loading. So doing your sort of 20 grams a day for a five to seven day period as opposed to doing a three to five grams a day over say three to four weeks, you get to the same endpoint in terms of um, skeletal muscle concentration. Uh, but, you know, low and slow is definitely a lot more, um, you know, better tolerated by the vast majority of people. So again, kind of your own choice, whether you want to roll the dice and, and see how you go with trying to do it faster. Um, if you're concerned about those potential complications, then uh, the literature definitely suggests that going um, the low and slow route is a better alternative. Yes, great. All right, so let's pivot and talk about pregnancy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely um, a little bit murkier and we're, we're trying to understand as, as much as we can. And I would hope that if we were to sit down and have a chat again in um, a few years time, I wouldn't seem like a politician and seem like I'm talking around the topic. I would be able to give you a much straighter answer. Yeah. Um, but I will do my best to uh, to let everyone know about where we stand at the moment. So in terms of supplementation during pregnancy, we don't know very much um, for humans. We know anecdotally women that have taken creatine during pregnancy, it's usually women that are already taking creatine and have taken it for a long time and don't necessarily want to change, um, you know, their nutritional habits and dietary habits during their pregnancy. 
Um, we've never come across any anecdotal evidence to suggest that those women have had any complications associated with their creatine. In terms of actual scientific studies, the vast majority of our understanding at the moment comes from our preclinical models, so our animal studies. Mm. And we're talking about um, multiple different species at this point in time, uh, animal studies that have been conducted by myself and our team, but also other research that's being conducted around the world. The consensus is that the creatine is really well tolerated. Um, we've had from time to time some mention of um, gastrointestinal upset. Uh, I've never actually seen that in any of my own studies, but I've definitely had other researchers come back to me and say they've had to adjust their creatine intake of their pregnant animals because of a GI upset. But that's about the extent of what we've seen. And um, we've seen in mice that uh, we don't see any changes in weight gain or any other um, observations that the mother is actually really responding to the creatine in any particular way. Um, that's because we don't actually induce any, um, any changes in their behaviours. So obviously, as you well know, but your readers, uh, your listeners might not be as across, creatine itself doesn't really do anything unless you match it with resistance training or a challenge. It will just sit in your cells, faffing around, not really doing very much unless the cell is then pushed in some way and then it can come on board and either, you know, become um, a buffer for energy needs, help with the recovery of the cell. And it's really the, that strain that causes the gains that we see when we have creatine. So with our pregnant animals, we haven't done anything like that. We've just let them go ahead with their pregnancy as normal. So we really don't see any response to the creatine in the mothers because we haven't, you know, done anything to induce a response. So overall from our animal studies, it seems as if creatine is really safe. We've started to do in pregnant women something called a pharmacokinetic study because we're really interested um, in, well, if we're going to at one point recommend creatine supplements for pregnant women, whether that be for a potential benefit of the baby, whether that's a potential benefit for the pregnant woman because um, she might have a condition that might, you know, change the way her body metabolizes creatine. What does that supplement actually look like? Is it the same as what we would be recommending a non-pregnant woman? So, you know, we talked about before that idea of maybe 20 grams a day, a loading phase, and then five grams. Would we follow that same dose trajectory in pregnancy? Mm. We don't know the answer to that, but we're trying to figure that out. So we have actually started a pharmacokinetic study in pregnant women where we've so far given eight pregnant women just five grams of creatine and um, tracked the changes in the creatine levels in that pregnant lady's blood across the 10-hour period after they've taken it to see whether the way her body is handling the creatine is different to um, a non-pregnant person. And so we're talking very small numbers and we're talking one dose of creatine that we've done so far. But from those women, we didn't see any tummy upsets. We didn't see anything to suggest that that creatine wasn't being handled as a single dose particularly well for um, the pregnant woman. So we're continuing those studies. They're going to um, include multiple doses over multiple days. So we'll have a lot more um, information about how well it's to tolerated, you know, taking it for a longer period of time. And we'll hopefully have that data soon. But so far, there's no evidence to suggest that it's not safe and not well tolerated, but we don't have a lot of evidence to draw those conclusions on. Mm. So I know that was long-winded and I'm sorry because it, I, I wanted to put forward everything that we do know because it is an incredibly important question. And um, as you say, we want women to be resourced with uh, the knowledge that is out there so they can make their own informed decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your answer is helpful, Stacey. And, and I want to, 
I think that there's, you know, people who are kind of working in the pre prenatal space or met they're in the medical realm and I'm myself a registered nurse. So I have that kind of lens. I think that people kind of think one research is just really easy to do when it's actually <laughs> a very, as you know, it's a very um, complex sort of systemized approach that you have to take. There's ethics reviews, there's so many things. And then when you think about well, why isn't there just a study to show ultimately if creatine supplementation over the long term and for X amount is safe, I think that people need to realize that, well, in order to do that, you need to have women who are okay with coming into that study. And if you said, look, I really can't guarantee the safety of you or your baby, that's what we're trying to determine. How many women are going to put their hands up for that, right? So what you guys are doing in in the lead up to that is so important and starting with those animal studies and then those slower approaches. And I kind of just name that so that people realize that obstetrics is a very, as I said at the start of this podcast, a risk adverse area because you have, Absolutely. yeah, you have another human on board. And like you kind of mentioned, it's like, okay, well, we have all of this information in the non-pregnant woman about the benefits of creatine but there's a few things that need to be considered like you said well is that three to five grams that we recommend going to be of any benefit or does it need to be a higher amount does it need to be a lower amount because the metabolic demands of the woman change considerably in pregnancy um but to because of those metabolic changes in pregnancy could there be any adverse outcomes that we potentially don't see in the non-pregnant client is that what is that what i'm kind of hearing you say yeah that is absolutely correct i mean we are sometimes uh people joke about the level of dotting i's and crossing t's that we're doing with this research program particularly because creatine is a dietary supplement and everyone's just like oh it's a it's in the diet everyone has it all the time you know it, surely it's going to be safe why don't you just press ahead but mm -hmm. i mean I just could not in good conscience and my team in good conscience couldn't do that because of the special population of women that we're talking about here. And as you say, the fact that there's another human on board as well. And so we are definitely, you know, going slow and taking in incremental steps towards getting the answer. And I am very confident that we will be able to get there, um, it, hopefully in the near future. and be able to look back and say we did it in a way that we didn't cause any distress mm. to women or um and we ensured that we got all of the information that women wanted to know about the use of creatine during pregnancy because obviously a lot of the questions that i'm sure you get are not just about her but you know what effects that creatine might be having on her developing baby so we've got two people to consider when we're looking at the design of these studies and the implementation of these studies. So mm, yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah, and if you take something like caffeine consumption, for example, right, if you looked at that in terms of mass doses of caffeine in a, a non-pregnant woman, is there going to be any super detrimental effects to her? Probably not other than anxiety and a bit of jitter, you know, yeah. you know, it's not going to be comfortable. <laughs> it's not going to be um, life-threatening, so to speak. I'm sure there's probably a point at which it becomes a, a problem, but nobody's consuming that much. But then when you look at the association between and where, whether, and I, I don't know if you know much about this research and I personally haven't looked deep into it, but the correlation between higher intakes of caffeine consumption during pregnancy and miscarriage, there is somewhat of that correlation there so it's like you can take something like caffeine that wouldn't have any really harm to you but you apply that to the pregnant woman and because that placenta is providing the nutrition and everything to that that fetus as you say there could be potential ramifications so i i appreciate what you guys are doing in, in taking that slow approach yeah that's that's absolutely correct it's just it's really challenging and sometimes it would be nice to to do so but to automatically flip um, what we know in a non-pregnant person into a pregnant person, even for really, you know, innocuous kind of mm. uh, nutrients and, and, you know, dietary metabolites such as creatine or ca 
um, caffeine. You know, alcohol is a really yeah. nice example that's really straightforward too. You know, like obviously a couple of drinks, you know, in the general population across a week is not considered a problem. There's absolutely very firm evidence to suggest that alcohol consumption at any stage during pregnancy and even now in that preconception period, if you're in a position that you know that you're planning a potential pregnancy, the recommendations are definitely don't go near alcohol because we know that it is just handled completely differently and can have some really um, detrimental outcomes for the developing fetus. So, yeah, it's really not that easy to just shift the literature and the knowledge from a non-pregnant state into a pregnant state. And I guess the other important point to make on that is that, you know, we might have shown benefits in a non-pregnant state and we might actually lose those benefits in pregnancy if we just assume that the pregnancy is going to um, or the pregnant person is going to metabolise the nutrient or the dietary metabolite in the same way. So we can't necessarily assume that the gains that creatine will make for a non-pregnant woman will be the same as the gains for a pregnant woman based on the same dose. There's a lot of studies out there actually that have just made that assumption. They're mm. like, oh, this will be a really beneficial treatment for X. We know that it works in women uh, in the pre-conception um, period or the pre-pregnancy period. We'll just apply it in pregnancy and often those clinical trials fall over and then they'll actually go back and have a look at whether they're getting the same um, accumulation of the drug or the metabolite or the nutrition in the pregnant woman and showing that they're actually, you know, only reaching 50% of what they would have expected it to just because mm -hmm. of the way that the pregnant woman metabolizes it. And so that's something that we're very conscious of as well. We want to be able to tell women whether creatine is safe, but we also want to be able to tell them what the dosing strategy should look like for them to actually get the benefits because mm. otherwise you know it's a waste of everybody's time right uh, yeah absolutely yeah i appreciate that and i, I guess so for tangible sort of effects for people to take away from this it's it's ultimately uh and correct me if i'm wrong and i'm just trying to communicate it in a way that people can listen to this and then decide what ultimately feels feels best for them so in animal models, we don't really have any evidence to suggest that creatine supplementation during pregnancy would be harmful. However, with that, that hasn't fully transferred over to human models. It's starting to, and we're getting there. And hopefully in a few years, you and I will come back together and you'll be able to be like, take this much and it's amazing and do all the things or it's just not. Um, and if you're... If you're deciding whether or not creatine supplementation is right for you during your pregnancy, what's very helpful for you to know is, yes, we have that, that research in animal models, not so much in human models. And then if, if it is safe, which what we have right now seems to be the case, but we don't quite know what that dosage is yet. So if you choose to do at your own informed risk, because there may not be risk, but we just simply don't know the full story in a nutshell. Yes, that is definitely the lay of the land at the moment is that there's no identified risk, but we certainly haven't got enough research at the moment to say that there is no risk. Yes, amazing. All right, so now let's let's change gears to the postnatal woman and breast yes. specifically, because this is also a, a question <laughs> a lot um, from clients you know some women uh, choose to not breastfeed some people really struggle to breastfeed and in that case we we would probably exclude that from that question because the the real question is does it pass through the breast milk and in passing through that breast milk how much is actually transferred into the baby and does that have any effects so from a breastfeeding perspective what do we currently know from the research yeah, so breastfeeding is actually um, a fascinating topic that we've only really started to dive into probably in the last 18 months. So uh, we're even earlier in our understanding of breastfeeding, but this is the lay of the land at the moment. So there is definitely creatine in breast milk um, and the levels of creatine in breast milk appear to 
pretty much mirror what's happening um, in the mum's circulating system, so her, her blood creatine levels. Really interestingly is that we see different populations of women from different countries and different backgrounds actually seem to have um, variations in their underlying levels of creatine in their breast milk. Uh, so there was a study recently published showing that women from South Africa had almost threefold higher creatine levels in their breast milk compared to women in Norway and um, a small population of women here in Australia. So there definitely seems to be quite a large physiological range of creatine in breast milk just in the general population. And so that becomes an interesting question when we talk about changes due to supplementation um, because you might have somebody with lower levels to start with who are supplementing and increasing their um, breast milk creatine levels but they're likely to still be falling in this physiological range that we understand uh, to date and also some recent um, data that I was just analysing a couple of weeks ago um, from one of my own studies uh, looking at preterm babies' creatine levels. And a part of that study is that we collected breast milk studies from the baby's mum, breast milk samples, I should say, from the baby's mum across a three-month period. And we actually found that the concentrations of creatine in the breast milk change postnatally. So they're quite high in the first week or two after giving birth, and then they progressively decline up until that three-month point to hit a plateau. Mm. So again, in terms of the idea of changing breast milk creatine concentrations with supplementation, the actual um, absolute amounts of creatine you'll end up with in your breast milk might actually be different depending on whether you're talking about supplementing within the first week post having your baby versus if you're going to start supplementing say a month to three months after you've had your baby but we do have um, evidence to suggest that if you do take a creatine supplement you will actually increase your breast milk creatine concentrations uh, this is all case study evidence to date so taking samples from one woman um, early, pre um, taking creatine supplements and then post creatine supplements, we have seen a about a fourfold increase in the breast milk creatine concentrations um, in that scenario of just looking at, at one particular woman and, and her decision to actually take creatine supplements in the postnatal period and her wanting some information about what was happening with her breast milk levels. So uh, when we did that for her, yeah, we found that we we're looking at about a fourfold increase in creatine concentration in the breast milk, um, not concentrations that we would consider outside of the normal realm that we would see in um, blood samples of women on creatine supplements, but it was definitely there. So. Mm -hmm. That is an, an important point for your listeners or anyone who's considering taking creatine supplements in the postnatal period. Yeah. It'll be there. But yeah, the water is muddied by the fact that breast milk, as a, the gloriousness of breast milk, is that it changes, you know, from hour to hour almost. Um, and so we're really trying to get an understanding of, you know, what are our peak and low levels of creatine in breast milk just in general and then so if we're introducing supplementation and the higher levels you know are we really getting outside of a physiological range or are we still within um you know the the ranges that we would potentially consider as a safe mm, and then that begs the question of okay well if what you've seen so far is that there is that increase in creatine concentration within the breast milk how does that then affect the baby who's consuming the breast milk? Is that correct? Yeah, and so we haven't gone that far into our research. So as I say, that um, the information on supplementation itself has come from a, a case study of one woman who um, was wanting to take creatine supplements she had in the past. Uh, yeah. She came to us and asked if we would mind measuring some breast milk samples for her, which we did. 
Um, mm -hmm. We sent her home with the information that there was a fourfold change. Um, what she did with that information, I'm actually not 100% sure, but we certainly um, never had any reports come back to say that uh, there was yep. any sign during the period when we were actually doing the assessments to suggest that the baby wasn't responding well to that additional creatine um, mm. or that there were any adverse effects but it's definitely a very new area of research and mm. we probably unfortunately understand the safety profile of creatine in the postnatal period even yeah. less than we kind of do in in pregnancy at the moment and certainly in the pre-pregnancy period yeah yeah for sure and one of the things that you mentioned before stacy was the creatine concentrations post-birth were quite high and then they kind of plateaued at three months postpartum and whether or not this is shown in the research but i guess that mechanistically that kind of makes sense given that birth is such a active metabolic time and post-birth women are recovering from though birth is very normal a rather traumatic um event to the body the body needs time oh, to... absolutely yeah yeah so so mechanistically i guess that that kind of makes sense that that would happen right that increase in creatine and then that drop off when when you are recovering a lot more in that three months postpartum period yeah absolutely and again it's kind of pulling together some some information from different um, animal models and different experiments that we've done. But we have some information to suggest that the way in which a newborn baby metabolizes creatine and produces its creatine um, might be a little bit different to an adult. Mm -hmm. And um, effectively, because we can, our bodies make creatine as well as us getting it from our diet. And for most people, that's a 50-50 scenario if we choose to consume animal products or animal mm -hmm. protein. So basically, if we eat meat and dairy, um, we get about 50% of our creatine from our diet. Um, and the body makes the rest. But we have evidence from animals to suggest that the fetus and the newborn baby, the internal synthesizing mechanisms aren't quite online um, as much as they need to be around the time of birth. Mm. And um, that's interesting because obviously anyone who's had a baby knows like the growth trajectory of a baby in that first three months is just insane as well. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of muscle deposition, putting on fat, putting on weight, head growth, there's so much happening. And so we think that there's actually a quite a large requirement of creatine from the nutrition potentially mm. and you know especially using breast milk as an example because we know breast milk is so receptive to changing based on the baby's needs that higher level early on might actually be reflective of the baby requiring higher levels from their nutrition because those internal synthesizing um, systems are coming online during a period of time when there's a lot of growth happening as well. So we'd like to get at that a little bit further with some of our research, but if I was to put a hypothesis around why we see those higher levels to start with, um, mm -hmm. that concept of the baby requiring more in that early postnatal period um, would be something that I would focus on, along with, as you say, it being um, post-birth and that highly energetic and in some ways, yet yeah, traumatic, especially from a muscle perspective um, event that everybody, you know, the mother and and the baby are recovering from in that early postnatal period. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually hadn't sort of put that, that growth factor for a baby because, yeah, they, they're born and they're these squishy little things that don't quite even look human and then at three months you're like oh i have a a, a fully formed little person <laughs> yeah yes it's the, you know in terms of a percentage i mean you would just you'd never have that kind of growth trajectory ever again in terms yeah. you know yeah for sure and um one thing that i wanted to mention sort of like about the breastfeeding and this is a little bit off topic but i think that a lot of people don't realize with breastfeeding that the the act of bringing the baby to the breast and that this the transfer of saliva to that mother's receptors does change how her breast milk is made up and and it's constantly evolving and i find breastfeeding so um it's fascinating that the the female body can create something 
basically from scratch ex for exactly what her baby needs and i i find that really fascinating so it's um yeah 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 no i agree with you there it is an absolutely fascinating and really unique physiological um event that is that is occurring and and something that we still don't understand a lot about and there's and there's a lot of research in that space um but yeah definitely uh, if if you're in a position to breastfeed um it can be really helpful to to do that especially in the early postnatal period because intrinsically um your body can respond to your baby's needs during mm. that time for sure so just changing gears if you know because your work's mostly in um neonatal outcomes and birthing etc rather than this sort of performance-based uh question of whether or not creatine is helpful so yeah if in the research if you were to come to all the research was to come to a conclusion that it was beneficial for neonatal outcomes would it be a case that creatine supplementation would need to begin at a certain time or gestation within the pregnancy in order to have those benefits for the the fetus or baby yeah we're definitely that's a really key question and something that we're trying to understand as well so a lot of our initial animal models we would supplement from mid gestation onwards in some ways that was just kind of a a blanket decision we wanted to um we thought from a safety profile actually the longer the exposure the more we could understand about how well the creatine was being handled by the mother so that made sense um, and also it gave us the most opportunity, you know, it provided the greatest opportunity to get higher levels of creatine to the fetus. Um, mm. So within our animal models, we've got um, certain periods of time, either from mid-pregnancy or at least sort of two to three weeks before um, the delivery of the fetus. Um, that period of time we've shown some benefit for the fetus when there's been a complication at the point of delivery um, involving oxygen deprivation. But what, how little, um, how much we could potentially reduce that period of exposure and still see the benefits, we don't 100% understand at the moment. Um, mm. And it's a really interesting question, but I personally am not super... Mm, tied to the idea of working out it needs to be eight days before delivery of the baby or you know you really need 10 days of exposure because um as everyone is aware babies come when babies want to come we often have babies come much earlier than we expect them to arrive and so if we can show a nice safety profile for um a longer period of gestation then in some ways it would be nice to be able to say you know taking creatine from the middle of pregnancy is a good idea because then you'd actually capture that potential of babies coming early or you know not knowing exactly when you were going to deliver and mm. not needing to be you know stressed or worried that you know you weren't quite getting the the um dosing and the elevated tissue levels you were hoping for because you weren't actually supplementing um for for as long as the literature suggests that you should have been uh, mm. so at the moment we're kind of looking at mid-pregnancy uh, that's not to say there aren't some potential benefits for mum and baby um, earlier in pregnancy as well in terms of how um, your body changes across pregnancy there's a lot of changes in your body composition and the way in which you um, generate energy and use energy um, from the get-go and so with you know in terms of creatine being beneficial during the pregnancy for the mother with that in mind you'd actually think that the earlier you could start knowing safe that it was safe of course would actually be the best approach yeah absolutely and and again from my perspective because my priority is always from not, not the aesthetic standpoint but you know as you said, the changes in pregnancy, Stacey, the changes in your body fat distribution and your muscle mass. And we know that, you know, when we do lose muscle mass, that can create, I guess, problems from a metabolic standpoint, but also an injury standpoint in that that postnatal recovery period as well. So when I'm working with women, one of my highest priorities is how do we 
how do we keep you maintaining as much muscle muscle mass as possible given the changes your body's about to go through so i can only imagine that if creatine is in fact safe during pregnancy that's only going to create that greater benefit and then understanding well if the dosages need to change to allow those skeletal muscle benefits to occur what does that actually look like so it's a a very exciting time in research and very thankful that um we've got us aussies leading that sort of the forefront of that yeah research. oh yeah, yeah. That's absolutely what's happening so it's, it's super exciting and i mean just to touch on that again i think we're learning more and more about uh, changes to creatine metabolism and the potential benefits in terms of exercise performance, muscle strength um, and muscle mass related to our sex hormone profile. And so obviously, um, really, basically, our understanding of that is coming from changes across the menstrual cycle. So um, there's key links with, and it's not just creatine, it's carbohydrate metabolism, it's glycogen storage. Um, mm. We see that all of these key things are really tied to particularly estrogen levels, but also progesterone levels. And, you know, there's evidence to suggest that um, during particular phases of the menstrual cycle, so particularly particularly the luteal phase, so just after ovulation all the way through to um, when we start to menstruate, that might be a key period of time where creatine supplements are beneficial. And if you actually look at the hormone profile of that period of time, it's not too dissimilar to some of the changes that are happening early in pregnancy. And so, mm. you know, trying to marry what we understand um, across the menstrual cycle and with sex hormones from non-pregnant women with pregnancy, there's definitely room there to suggest that the creatine supplements might be beneficial in that early pregnancy period, particularly mm -hmm. for women who are concerned about, um, you know, retaining their their level of um, uh, exercise performance in that early stages of pregnancy. So mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully watch this space a little bit there because I think there's a lot more to come out there and there's some great research coming out of the United States, particularly around sex hormones and, and creatine metabolism and exercise performance. So yeah. I'll, I'll keep you across some of that if it's of, of interest to your, to, to your listeners and your clients. Yeah, for sure, definitely. And, and, you know, there is in the space of health and fitness, there is a lot of talk about how one performance changes throughout the menstrual cycle, but then two nutritional considerations, as you said, throughout the menstrual mm. cycle. For context yeah. for, for listeners, um, you know, Stacey mentioned the the uh, luteal phase and it potentially being beneficial during the, the luteal phase, did you say? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the reason that I imagine for that is because of the rise in progesterone and the changes in, in estrogen. So the what the reason that that's um, probably, I guess, correlated to pregnancy is because during pregnancy you see that big increase in, in progesterone, right? Whereas yeah. in our follicular phase we have that higher estrogen and then at um, ovulation we see estrogen and testosterone, but then progesterone seems to run the show. So that, that makes a yeah. lot of sense mechanistically about how that can kind of convert over to pregnancy so yes very exciting and i would love to be kept up to date with yeah. any information that you guys yeah. come up with um but to wrap it up stacy you know given that you guys are in australia and you are clearly doing more and more research around this topic is there any way that women who potentially have an interest in this area who are either in their preconception phase or pregnancy or in their postnatal phase can get involved to support and help you guys throughout this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're a little bit constrained at the moment to conducting our studies out of our um, medical centre here. So I'm based, uh, the Hudson Institute of Medical Research is actually based alongside the Monash Medical Centre. So we're one of the largest tertiary level um, medical facilities in southeast Melbourne. Uh, so we're somewhat geographically constrained to um, having women involved in our studies that are coming through the centre here, just because obviously um, with safety as a focus, we want to not just necessarily have women come in, take part in our study and then leave again. Um, if we can have women that are having their integrated care um, 
here be involved in our study it means that we get a lot more um wraparound uh mm. support and information for them as they take part in our studies uh so uh with that in mind if there's anyone in in this jurisdiction that's listening to the podcast that would be interested in getting involved uh, they can definitely get in contact with me hopefully um in the foreseeable future when we go to much larger trials if that's what the evidence suggests that we should do they would be um, national and likely international trials just to get enough women on board to make sure that we get an answer that is sound and is representative of um, a, a very diverse population. So, uh, yeah, that's also potentially an opportunity for people to, to get involved. Amazing. I'm actually from Melbourne, but I live in Sydney now. So remind me, is Monash like eastern Melbourne? Uh, so it's in Clayton, so uh, southeast of the city. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I went to Deakin University, so it was like Deakin and Monash were always on the top of the list for sort of everyone who was yeah. looking for sort of medical. So, yeah, yeah well. And, and Deakin actually has played a huge role in this research today. So obviously Deakin is, um, an in, you know, a world-leading institute for exercise science and, and sports nutrition. And um, partly the geographical location of the two institutes was part of the reason why we were able to get this research up in the uh, in the first place because you know when that first idea went off that i was talking about um earlier in the podcast you know the fact that um professor david walker did a little google and saw that some of the most prominent world leaders in creatine metabolism were literally 15 minutes up the road um yeah, yeah we could go down and convince a whole bunch of people mainly interested to be frank in exercise performance in men um to get interested in in women and pregnancy and and babies so it's been uh quite a turnaround in in their research objectives but um I'm, i think they would be happy for me to say that they've very much enjoyed uh doing a little bit of a u-turn and and to focus on women yeah for sure well i actually uh i found you through scott forbes scott forbes so he's creatine guy yeah. on Instagram and he's obviously very interested in how creatine uh, can help sports and performance and I had kind of reached out to him in my quest to find the, the right person to have this conversation with and he said oh check out this um, it was the presentation I believe that you, you did it at a conference and it's on YouTube and that's where I yeah. you so thank you to Scott Forbes as well for, for <laughs> in your direction but i've really really appreciated this chat stacy i'm very excited for what you guys are doing so you know leave all and any information that you feel uh is applicable where people can find you or your research or anything that might be helpful to direct people toward the beautiful work that you guys are doing fantastic thank you so much for the opportunity i really appreciate the the chance to to let people know about the actual research and the science and and as you say um, make sure that people are making informed decisions with the right information. Uh, so it's been my absolute pleasure.